0: What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. On today's episode of What Fuels You, I am here with Ambika Singh, the CEO and co-founder of Armoir. Ambika um, attended Dartmouth and MIT before starting her impressive career at companies such as Microsoft, Rover, and Boston Consulting Group. Ambika um, was recently recognized on the 40 under 40 list, which is no surprise. With Armoir, she and her team are revolutionizing the women's clothing industry with an easy, guilt free, and personalized online clothing rental experience. Armor and Ambika are all about empowering women to feel their best. And I can't wait to learn more from my friend Ambika. Welcome, Ambika. Yay.
1: Thanks, Shauna.
0: You're welcome. Okay, so we're gonna start with um rapid fire. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, favorite podcast. Yours. Oh, I love ya. Um, health food or junk food? Definitely junk food. How do you decompress? Oh god. <laughs> Wine? Is that a bad answer? No. I love it. I want to drink it with you. Uh, Women that you most admire in your life today. My mom. One word that describes you. (laughs) Crazy. I knew you were going to say that. I thought you were going to write cuckoo bird. I'm like, that's two words. Um, Favorite musical artist.
1: Oh, uh, I'm a big Tribe Called Quest fan. So am I. Oh. Oh, now we
0: know so much about each other. Favorite beauty product? Mm.
1: Uh, I'm really into Thrive Cosmetics eyelash uh, mascara right now. Eyelash
0: mascara. Nice. Of course eyelash, eyelash mascara. Right you need correct. the mascara for your eyelashes. <laughs> it's tubular. It's tubular. So okay. when you
1: wash it off, it comes off in like the One tube piece? format. So oh. it doesn't get stuck to your eyelashes.
0: Okay. Well, it's very functional. I, once I stop doing these crazy fake lashes, then I will look into that.
1: Oh, well, your eyelashes <laughs> so, look amazing. Thanks, love.
0: Um, okay, so you and I are like a couple of the random rare people that grew up here. and are Correct. Like, here. Yeah. So you grew up here and you have, I don't even know why I don't know this, but do you have siblings? I have one younger brother. And you are, are you that role in the family? Like you're the big sister? I As we get
1: older, it's... Less clear to me yeah. because uh, he
0: how, knows how far apart are you guys? In we're age? two
1: and a half years apart. Oh yeah. So I think it, there was certainly a time where I was the older sister. Yeah. You know, I was the ASB president yeah. or whatever, and I had like a just an older sister kind of vibe. I think when we were yeah. younger, but now, I mean, he he micromanages me in <laughs> ways that I don't like. I'm that sure. That are probably good for me. Like. Did you do your taxes? Yeah. And have you ever looked at your stock portfolio or do you think that that's something that just grows on its own?
0: That's funny.
1: So he definitely micromanages me for things that I find to be annoying. Um, He's the, out of in our family, he is the dot the I's and cross the T's one. He's like, hey, this aunt is like, it's her birthday. And he's uh, the reminder guy. Yes.
0: And so tell me about your parents. Where, are you more like your mom or your dad?
1: Um. Again, as I get older, I think I'm realizing I'm more of a blend than I thought. But from from the outside, I'm certainly much more like my dad. And I, I meet people all the time who say that I'm a carbon copy of
0: him. So, do you look like him or you act like him?
1: Act like him. So he's a he's a serial entrepreneur, multi-time CEO. Um, yeah. He loves people. He's an outsized extrovert. Um, and are you also? Yes. And uh, I really enjoy getting out and solving hard problems. We, we both have an inability to miss out. So the FOMO is very strong. <laughs> um, I get I, that. Yeah. Whereas my mom is definitely different, but um, I'm realizing as I get older, and I, this is interesting that uh, I'm realizing a lot of the business that I built is they're her values versus oh, interesting. his. So, interesting. I yeah. want to
0: hear about that when we talk about armoire and other business experience that you have. So, um, so you grew up, did you go to private school or public school?
1: I went to an interesting public school. So I went to international community school. Okay. I was the first class to graduate. So it was very much my first startup experience. Um, so it's a, in Washington, we don't have true charter schools. Mm-hmm. There's some other designation. I don't know what the proper term is, but, um, they are schools in the public school system that have like some, what of a different, um, Idea. So there's two on the east side, the Bellevue International and the Kirkland International, and they've both grown to have impressive reputations. Um, they're six-year curriculums that are really integrated, and so you have to take art and language.
0: And so was it the kind of school that was um, academically rigorous?
1: It was extremely rigorous academically when we were in seventh grade. So the first two classes were seventh and eighth graders that went all the way through they held back a third of the group um, in a number of subjects. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty uh,
0: cutthroat environment for 12-year-olds. Yeah. My guess <laughs> is that you are probably similar today that as you were then. <laughs> probably. And ASB president <laughs> and kind of natural-born leader. Um, was it obvious to you from a young age that um, kind of going to a good college was important?
1: I think so. I, I, w- I have always been um, pretty uh driven, I think mm-hmm. um listening to my parents talk about it it's funny because I think they were more concerned with the drivenness than uh they were you know they were always telling me like it's gonna yeah. be okay, like whatever yeah. happens you were know, you anxious nervous? calm down like I think I just really wanted to do well mm-hmm. and yeah, and that probably is uh, like the 80s way of saying that I had anxiety. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's good. It, I mean, it's what fuels you, right? I yep. mean, if, it, if you're channeling it in the right directions, like accomplishment and achievement, then that can be great.
1: I remember when I didn't get into Stanford, my dad took me on this long walk, and I still remember that he was like, this is not anything that is yeah. even close to a
0: disaster, even right. though you can't really see that right now. And I was like... <laughs> This is the end of the rope. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I've had some people that are extremely successful. One on this um, podcast in particular, Richard Tate, um, who was speaking with me about kind of um, doors closing and windows opening and that a lot of his life. And I totally believe this. Like, that's what happens. And then you wouldn't have gone to Dartmouth. Right. Which was an incredible experience for you. So at Dartmouth, um, I know that I read your history, econ and microfinance. How did you choose those things to study? Did you have an idea of like what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: So I was also very idealistic. Um, and I remember being really interested in like idea, political and social ideas of like utopias and communist societies and places where there was an ability to sort of like build things that were different. And so I was really interested in um, in microfinance because at the time it was really nascent and it was a kind of like a new model of doing development that I think looking back probably still fit with my values because it, it's, it's very entrepreneurial The idea is like particularly you're looking at women and trying to help them start businesses because women are great entrepreneurs and they're super responsible running businesses as well as reinvesting back into communities. And so I wanted to write this, um, Thesis and originally I was a history major, but I couldn't get to the kind of depth from an analytical perspective within just that vertical. My parents were thrilled because they were worried that I was going to become like a yeah. fiction writer or something. <laughs> right. So they were like, oh, okay, live on the couch
0: for the next right. 10 years. <laughs>
1: So I added my econ major late just so that I could write the thesis that I really wanted to write. So I wrote it about risk models. um, And yeah, looking back, it was probably informative of where I ended
0: up. That's awesome. And so um, when you were at Dartmouth, did you come back to Seattle in between in the summers or were you doing that kind of like internship thing?
1: I did. So I came back um, my first first summer and worked for Maria Cantwell. Oh, very cool. Our senator, who is a lovely armoire customer, which is really kind of a thrilling moment for me. Um, But yeah, that was my first summer. um, And it was super interesting for me to see the political process from the inside. I worked on the constituent side of her office, which is basically dealing with everything that people have problems with um, in terms of your elected officials are supposed to be the intermediary between government bureaucracies and and the humans the citizens and so that's um, a huge part of the work that she does and it was really eye-opening for the kids from sure. medina like yeah. holy moly people face a lot of really difficult i remember one that still sticks in my mind now whatever it is 15 years later there was a woman who was um deployed and i want to say Iraq or Afghanistan, and she had a baby who was in Seattle who was sick, and there was no way to get her out. There just wasn't like a loophole, and she was writing begging for somebody to help her come home, and it wasn't something that was simple.
0: And it was just, and like, this is so this is what came across your desk exactly at that stage of life. Wow. Yeah.
1: the the intern. I was like, we have to do something, and yeah, it, you know, there's a process for everything. I sent an email to the Army. The Army sent us an email back. But it was just, it was such a kind of harsh learning experience for me that, like, this is a real, real, this is as real as it gets. And my responsibility is to write a letter. Yeah. Like, not get on a plane and, like, save the problem or do something. And, nope, I'm just going to write this email and send it over. And it was really...
0: Yeah. Just and so terrible. did you think that you wanted to go that route, kind of work in politics?
1: You know, honestly, that summer it was uh it kind of made me want to go that route less
0: Yeah, because well, I couldn't
1: fix the problems yeah. immediately. And there is a lot of process in politics. And I, don't, I mean, maybe at some point in my career, I'll come back to it. But I think as an 18-year-old, I was like, I want to be somewhere and fix problems now, yeah. like yeah. not go And so then we this. went
0: back. And then over the summers, what other types of things were you engaged in?
1: So then I changed my major when I went yeah. back. <laughs> um, and uh, I ended up applying to go to the Marshall Islands um, which it was a uh, the um, was an atomic bomb testing site. Uh, I know <laughs> I applied to go there to go teach English. I was really excited. I got this fellowship. A couple of weeks before I was supposed to leave, my mom found out that it's a pretty conservative society you have to wear long sleeves and like long pants. And they've basically always let me do what I wanted, but this one didn't sit super well. So she kind of like. They they were like, they were well. They to their credit, they were like, it's up to you, but we're really gonna worry, um, and you know, we'd prefer if you didn't come. So I came home, little like princess. That's the summer. This is my second summer now, angry because I lost my fellowship, have nothing to do, Um, and I ended up. This was super generous, but at, at the time, Monsoon Restaurant. He had one restaurant now. There's many of them, and he gave me a job as a bus girl. Um and I was it, it was an amazing I loved it yeah um and through that actually I got an internship at Microsoft
0: so through door, that doors closed doors open I love to that point. and so what was Microsoft like for you um and uh, did you learn kind of leadership skills there
1: so Microsoft was an incredible experience I also worked on the exact right uh product for. Me at the time. What was the product? I I worked on the Imagine Cup, which at the time was the largest student technology competition. And so we would bring kids, winning teams from 90 different countries, to some random amazing place. We did it in Paris one year, in India one year, in Cairo. Um, That's so cool. It was so cool. And talk about seeing the opposite of, like, really tough things. This is, like, all about incredible ingenuity and bringing together kids who would have never, most of them had, didn't have a passport. They had never been on a plane. And they are brilliant and optimistic. And um, and so I worked on that project as an intern. And I came back as a full-timer to work on it. And
0: how long again. were you at Microsoft? A couple years? Uh, I was an intern twice, and then I was there for almost three years when I came yeah. back as a full-timer. Yeah. And then I saw um, also that you worked at Rover and Aditi Lighthouse, BCG, all like kick-ass cool companies, um, did you kind of work there and think, I need to kind of cut my teeth on being an entrepreneur? Or were you thinking that you could see yourself in a larger company kind of forever?
1: I think I, I wasn't, I don't remember ever being like, oh, I must be a CEO and start my own company. Although my parents, I think, kind of disagree and say that I was always like, <laughs> On my path to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember thinking of it that way. I remember thinking of it as like steps after steps. And I think that's one of the hard things about leaving high school, college, and your first job because like you can continue to do the right things mm-hmm. because there's sort of like a structured path. And after you get your first job,
0: if you're lucky. Well, especially with yours, you've got Dartmouth and then you've got, I mean, even having BCG on their rover. And then, of course, we haven't gotten to the MBA at MIT. Like it's the resume that you yeah. want. Right. And you could easily be like, I'm going to just write my own ticket and go to some like cushy job somewhere.
1: Yeah. I think like as you progress in your career, though, figuring out how to continue to achieve, it's like your definition of success has to mold and change with you unless you're fully money driven. Then you can just kind of like get out there and just try to earn more and more money yeah. because that's like a quantifiable metric. And so you Something know you can measure. Like I did exactly. better
0: this year. Correct. Yeah.
1: Correct. But I think if that's not what you're going for solely, it's tough. Like, you got to look yourself in the face at different points and think like, okay, well, how am I going to do better? What
0: made you decide to go back and get an MBA?
1: So this was an interesting, I got a lot of advice from, uh, especially from from my male mentors that were like, don't do it like you're doing the woman thing by needing to like go get over credentialed like you're ready you're smart if you want to start something like just go out there and do it or if you want a different job go out there and do it and, like we'll help you get there um, like what is this random school thing that you're trying to
0: not so random it's MIT
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could do worse um, So I thought about it pretty hard because, you know, I tried to build, like, back of the envelope, like, ROI models or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm going to lose two years of salary. I'm going to spend out the face to get there. It's going to take me prep time to put myself in the right position. But I really, at the time, uh, felt like there was a couple things. One, I... I felt like I had walked into this career. I think that door closed, door open is mm-hmm. such a good analogy because I just kept walking through doors that opened to me. I didn't necessarily seek out some like deliberate right turn. Like, I remember having this thought when I before going to sleep, like routinely before I applied to business school maybe I should have been a journalist. Like, where did that come from? Or it was like, you know, other random stuff. Like, you know, maybe I should have been an actress or just like this fear of did I just walk through open doors versus. Right. So I wanted to go somewhere that I could see a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. And, and stretch yourself.
1: And stretch myself. Exactly. And be sure that I was choosing a door versus walking through. Yes. An, an open
0: inherited door. situation. Exactly. Yeah. OK. And so you went there and was that a good choice? I think it was an amazing choice for me. Yeah. Um,
1: I had f- first and foremost, I had a bananas good time for two years. <laughs> yeah, everyone says it. They're like, "Who are we kidding?"
0: <laughs> it was amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, I met incredible humans, and as you know, as you get older, it's really hard to make new friends. Yeah. We've made new friends. Yes, we have. But that's it's so rare. Yeah, yeah, it's very rare. I mean, yeah. I meet tons of people, and I really appreciate them, but it's hard to find intimacy as you get older because mm-hmm. we're all so busy and all that kind of stuff. So I made a whole new set of friends who I cherish. They are my biggest supporters with Armoire because they were there since the beginning. And yeah. so I just went back to Boston a couple of weeks ago. It's like coming back to this like fan club. It's yeah, like love I'm like that. pseudo celebrity. They're like, Pika.
0: I want to hear about so, that. And so you you mentioned a couple of your male mentors. Are these kind of formalized mentor relationships and mentee relationships?
1: Not formal. Um, one was uh, the CEO of the company I was working for at the time. Um, my dad has always been a big mentor to mm-hmm. me. My I have a cousin who um, has always, like, really been in my corner. Uh, so none none of them are real formal. And I actually I have an opinion about this. I want to hear. <laughs> um, I think the formality of the mentor relationship could be can be helpful but it's not the thing that will the thing that will bring real value is do you two really appreciate each other and as the mentee have you invested the time in making yourself interesting to your mentor because you want them to think about you and think about helping you and getting 15 minutes on their calendar once a month is not the kind of engagement that's really going to move the needle like you guys need to care about each other in the mm-hmm. same way that you do in any other relationship where mm-hmm. the person is going to go to bat for you and help you think through really tough things that's going to require deep engagement from them, require them to get their network involved. All those things are stretches that I don't know that, you know,
0: just a formal kind of mentor yeah, relationship. Yeah, I've never had anything like that, like a, a, a formal. Yeah. I've had a lot of people who would say that I've mentored them, but I it was never formal. Yep, And other people who I would say have been an influence on me. Yeah. But it was never where I was like, hi, it's me. Would you be willing to be my mentor? Although a lot of people credit their mentors with a lot of stuff. So I was just curious about that with you. Um, Yeah,
1: I certainly credit them. I just think you have to develop the relationship in a different way that is based on the same stuff that we know works in all of our other relationships, friendships. Yeah. Yeah parent relationships your partner yeah like invest in the person and they will invest back in you
0: i love that and so you did um you said that you kind of birthed this while at mit tell me about all of it i want to hear it from the beginning with armoire
1: so i was um coming back my second year from uh summering at bcg and i basically had a year uh, that's the way I was thinking about it because I was super fortunate to come back with a job offer. And so I, I literally had nine months. The second year of business school
0: is classically like... Yeah, a joke. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You're there to party. I was looking for like a different word, but that's really what it is. <laughs> my, I haven't been, but all my friends are like, who are we kidding? The hardest part is getting in.
1: Getting in the at MIT, they they I think just to kind of try to fit in the institute, they they the first semester is relatively hard. Like there's a good amount of math and whatever involved just so that they can fit in. But yes, the by the second year, if you have a job, like you're doing whatever you want to do. And so I had built this incredible group of friends who I love and are really different and were doing that kind of like mind stretching for me that I wanted to do because they all came from incredibly different backgrounds and I thought like okay If there's ever going to be a time to work on something interesting, you are sitting in in the middle of really smart people. The professors are incredible. And it's this totally different relationship than when you're an undergrad because now you're an adult. Mm -hmm. You've actually done something, especially I was on the older end. I was Because
0: you actually had a career and then went back. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's smart. So you can have like somewhat of a peer level conversation with your professors. Still, most of them have done way more shit than you have. But, you know, um, and so you can use them to talk about ideas and whatever. So I had an incredibly productive second year because I just decided that I was going to work on something. I didn't yeah. know what it was. So I took all the classes that were kind of entrepreneurial focused or focused in different segments of things that I felt like I didn't know a lot about. I wanted to know like operations. I knew nothing about operations. So I tried to get like pretty deep. Um, even though I had a, a career-based um, understanding of marketing, I had no kind of academic understanding. So I wanted to be able to have a framework to think about that and branding and stuff. So I got pretty deep, started to kick around all sorts of random ideas. I worked on a um a loneliness platform for elderly um, Americans. Oh, so, I can
0: see that doing well.
1: It, it, yes. That's a thing. I think it would have done great. And uh, somebody will solve part of the problem. It's a huge problem. Like with the aging population in America is... Nobody's building for them because it's not sexy. It's not like a valley-ish kind of company. And yet there's a ton of commercial success that could be had and could also deeply help people. So I was really interested in that problem. In the end, though, I didn't think I had any particular – passion or kind of me fit in it i didn't have any particular insight so Mm. i could see the problem from like a bleeding heart perspective and i could see the problem from like a commercial perspective but so i moved away from that one right
0: you don't want to wake up every morning and be like that's the problem i want to solve exactly it doesn't fit kind of yeah yeah that makes sense um
1: i thought about women's dry cleaning which is getting closer to where i ended up um women's dry cleaning is absurdly expensive Yes. And it's so annoying because you could show two shirts to the dry cleaner and the women's shirt is literally 5x the price of the men's shirt. So I found that very enraging. Um, And I thought, okay, we should be able to solve this problem. So... I ended up backing away from that one because actually the dry cleaning market is extremely fragmented and people are really attached to their local dry cleaner in a lot of cases. Um, Interesting. And so that probably got me closer to start to think about like some of these things where I ended up.
0: Yeah. And so um, how did you think of Armoire and how did you – how did the um, co-work, co-workers work, sorry, – co-founders come to be? So
1: I was um, – you know, I have a background from Rover in understanding shared assets. So I always wanted to do something big. Like that's kind of, I guess, been like a thread in my story. Um, and so I wanted to build a big business. And so I had seen the fact that disruption around shared assets was a profitable thing. I mean, at that point, Airbnb was coming out of the um you know, would it work or would it not? It's looking like it's going to work. I love Airbnb. Yeah. But remember in the beginning, everyone was like, what is this? Like couchsurfing.com had existed for a decade and it never became a thing. So the fact that Airbnb broke out of that was a real kind of um, question at one point. So Airbnb was looking successful. Uber was looking successful. Rover was looking successful. So the idea of shared assets was something that came naturally when I started to like think about disruption. Um, I wanted to work on something for people that I felt a passion for or that I felt like I understood optimally both. So that led me to women pretty quickly.
0: I love watching you in action when you're talking about armoire because you light up. Oh. So okay, so these so who are the co founders?
1: So and then the last piece of armoire, which will yeah, is important from the co founder story, is that I also believed in technology, clearly, for coming from my background. So I didn't want to run, like, a store. I wanted there to be some kind of, like, disruptive technology piece that I felt like we could grow real IP and solve a problem. That's, frankly, the only way I've ever seen problems get solved, mm-hmm. um, just considering where I've been. And so mm-hmm. it was natural, I think, for me to try to figure out, okay, if we have this problem, how are we going to solve it? Well, we're going to build some tech and that will solve the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Always works, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. In theory. <laughs> In theory. Um, so, yeah. So uh, at this point, like, I was starting to get, like, an idea of what this thing would look like. So it, it was a rented closet and there needed to be some kind of technology component that made this rented closet accessible to this customer group that I cared a lot about, which was professional women. So trying to start to understand like what, what was the professional woman's biggest challenge, you know, what was she trying to solve?
0: Yeah, I wanna hear I wanna hear what the pain points are now and what you're thinking uh as far as how to retain customers yep. and stuff. But when you were looking for your co-founders, you needed a technologist. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to complement your skill set and kind mm-hmm. of figure out who's going to be – who's going to have the stomach for a startup. hmm Right?
1: Um, d- design skills. I mean, I think I can look at things and figure out if it looks okay, but mm-hmm. I've never been, like, deeply kind of, like, aesthetically driven. So I knew starting a fashion company, you need somebody that really had a great eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – Beyond that, it was really like in the beginning, and you've started a company before. In the beginning, you just need people that are have great attitude, you like being around, and are gonna do stuff, yeah, like just all this stuff,
0: yeah, bias toward action, yes, <laughs> let's, let's just do less talking, more doing, right? Yeah, and, and I, I think totally I was agree.
1: very lucky to find those people in my personal network mostly. Um, and uh, we had a lot of fun that first, so we applied to the accelerator. I, this is, I. I still don't know how we got into it. I always try to give the accelerator plug because I think they took a chance on us. Um, we we basically at the time had a very— Which
0: accelerator?
1: So MIT's—yeah, it's MIT's accelerator. They take somewhere between 10 and 15 teams and hundreds apply from across the institute, everything from undergrad to the PhDs. And so it's—the competition is serious. Uh, it's also an incredible— And how do you apply? What do you have to do? you you, there's a hefty application and then you go through an interview process and uh, it's somewhat opaque you know those are the inputs and like somehow people get chosen I think observing it from the outside they try to bet on companies that are gonna do well and uh, at the end of the day schools are also businesses and hopefully they drive some loyalty through the fact that your company started there and you come back and support the school eventually um It's different in that way, though, than a commercial accelerator because they don't take any ownership up front. Got it. We were super grateful because it gave us all of the tools that we needed and mostly it gave us kind of structure, which I think is I mean, I guess depending on your personality, I need structure. <laughs> like I need to have a place I'm going every day with like a thing that I'm working on so that I stay kind of like doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it really gave us that and gave us tremendous access. I still have uh, people who were on our summer boards. So you kind of like assemble this summer board of advisors and mentors. They're still on my monthly call list and incredible people who had run relevant companies and whatever. And so they've really seen the business from inception to um, to now. And so those are mentor relationships that are very deep um, and I'm very grateful for them. So the accelerator was amazing um, and all the co-founders, uh, so of them only one remains. Mm. Um, and we picked up a couple uh, along the way with different kinds of like skill sets, but we really, that summer we um, the thing that we were the most proud of is that we started shipping product on the first day. So wow. We super different than everyone else in the accelerator. So everyone else was working on very kind of classically MIT problems. We were the girls in the back with the clothes. and Everyone's like, what the hell are they doing? And how did they get into this accelerator? But, you know, the thing was we, we had a, a thesis that we thought women would want to, rent their clothes. We had interviewed 500 women before we came in to try mm. to kind of like develop what this thing was going to start to look like. We had no algorithm at the time and not no website even. We put a bunch of pictures into a Google form, charged people on Venmo. We did nearly $10,000 worth of Venmo revenue before we decided we need to get a bank account. <laughs> um but, gotta but
0: do it. you got to do. it. Most yeah. entrepreneurs would say that that's the right way to do it. Less thinking, more just do and then iterate. You yeah, know, versus kind of put together this whole complex plan and then launch.
1: I mean, like, we didn't do even it. have a dry cleaner on the first day. We hand washed all the clothes and then we were like, Oh God, we're ruining this stuff. We gotta get a dry
0: cleaner. We I listened to the How I Built This podcast and the stories are so crazy. I can't remember which bakery it's like um a big one though. And they yep. were saying that they didn't realize there was something that came and they had to like Uh, dry lettuce quickly so they put it into a dryer I mean crazy stories and I'm like I don't know if you should say this on a podcast but like you know there's that grit of like we'll figure it out we don't know what to do so we're going to throw the lettuce into like the dryer
1: I mean you don't have a choice like you every day it's exponential how far you've come right because like on day two, you have survived 100% longer than you yes. have been alive. <laughs> yeah. So by day five, if what you have to do is dry the lettuce, like you're yeah. going to dry the lettuce. Yeah. I don't and care. So wow.
0: <laughs> how, so you've had two rounds of financing at this point?
1: So I'm in the middle of number two. Okay. So I raised... Uh, so we got out of the accelerator. This is like an interesting... I think along with the fact that you grow exponentially, also you your expectations of yourself and the world around you, those grow exponentially also. So at the end of the accelerator, there's this big demo day. And it was the biggest stage I had ever been on. There were 2000 people in the auditorium. My parents flew out and I classic me was very ill-prepared and it sort of just all came together the 24 hours before. And I gave a kick ass demo day presentation. So I walk off and I'm like, Oh, Oh, I am a celebrity. This is awesome. <laughs> and then I expect that, like, things are just going to work out now, right? Because it doesn't doesn't everyone else know that I'm a celebrity? Yeah. The next day, I, like, nothing has changed, right? Because, like, all I did was give a speech. And so I start, like, trying to hustle these, like, leads from investors that were supposed to kind of, like, come out of the sky because, like, I had been so great and then I realized that's not how this works. Like you can, yes, you, you hit one milestone, you made it out of the accelerator. You gave a great speech. Now comes the next stage of real life, which is called, you need to find somebody to write you a check. Yeah, And the first check is really hard and it, doesn't make the second check that much easier, which was another thing I thought. Like, okay, now I get the first one. And now the second one's just going to fall out of the sky, right? I keep waiting
0: for things to fall out of the you, sky. You keep thinking, well, because if you're a person like you, and, and I understand it, that uh, stuff just kind of works out. And as I'm getting older, um, even this, like I prepared for this um, Yeah, this morning. <laughs> but but still. still, that's a big deal for right. me to prepare. And I think that I'm realizing that if I want to get really real with myself, some of it is... That if I fail, then I don't have to face that I actually failed. That's it. That I can just wing it, just go. Well, I wasn't even prepared anyway. Right. And in your case, it's like it, it's going great, but God forbid it like didn't. You would just pick up and go do something. It, like there's, you're gonna be successful no matter what because that's just your DNA.
1: To your point though, that I'm also realizing this through this process, and I remember the the woman who ran the accelerator. She that same day she gave me this counsel and I think nobody would have done it and I'm so grateful because you know, like afterwards this whole like celebration part and she like pulled me aside and she was like, Look, like you pulled this off because it you know, it you can. Mm-hmm. You will burn the team around you and you will eventually like something will be too big for you to mm-hmm. get over it. And you've just got to keep that in your mind instead of it being like a self reinforcing prophecy where like oh look i winged it this time it worked i winged it this time it worked it's like you know you need to first think about the people around you because that like speaks to me and second also think about the fact that at some point the mountain's going to be too
0: big for me it's also thinking what do i need i've loved having people around me who are very process oriented Mm. because i'm not creating that in the company right so how many people do you guys have
1: now So we have 25 people. It's a big team. It's very terrifying.
0: (laughs) Lots of logistics involved in this business.
1: Lots of logistics involved. It's the thing that brings me more joy than anything is hanging out with the team and hanging out with customers. So I'm really grateful for that part of it because you see what you can build on both sides. You can build a great environment that people like to work in, which I feel very grateful and proud of the fact that we have that. At yes. From a you team can level. feel it. I yeah. mean, you
0: can definitely feel it around your team.
1: That And, yeah, there's nothing else like that would make I agree. me more proud. Yeah, that's I totally awesome.
0: agree. That's the coolest feeling ever. And so um, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, that's a good question.
1: I think... The things that I, maybe one of the biggest things I try to think about is I am best when I'm doing stuff I like to do. I am worst when I'm doing stuff I don't like to do. So trying to figure out from a leadership perspective, what is it that people really want to do and put them in those positions so that they can do, you know, as much of that in their working. Because one of the things that I really value is the fact that people's ingenuity to solve problems is incredible but you need to the problem has to be interesting to them Mm -hmm. it's like you got to be thinking about it on the weekend and like asking the kids around you or whatever it is it's like something that's like playing in the back of your Mm -hmm. mind where you're like i'm gonna figure out what the non kind of standard solution to this problem is so try to get people into positions where you get their idle mind time if you get their idle mind time
0: then their ingenuity will solve lots of things around you. So And, yeah, and then you get out of their way, which it sounds exactly. like you're good at. <laughs> you know, just letting them, You're. it doesn't sound like you're a micromanager.
1: So I think I'm more of one than I thought, and that's something that I've learned, like, in the last, I don't know, six months to a year by asking for feedback. Um, I thought I wasn't. I think that my bar is high, and so if I I want to know that we are hitting you know what i think is like the best that we can do yeah and as a result i'm in people's business more than they would like
0: well that's your job it's your baby <sighs> yeah right
1: your, but there's got to be job. a balance and i think one of the ways i'm trying to solve for that is to make what is you know what is perfect or what is um acceptable both of those steps should be as defined as possible Mm-hmm. Because then it's like we both agree what we're trying to get to. I like that. Uh, so this is—I mean, this is work in progress. No, I, I get it. it. Yeah. I've been—I'm—I'm
0: I'm not a micromanager at all, but I am a person who's pretty neurotic, and so if something—if <laughs> I feel that one thing has slipped, then I start to tailspin into like, well, what else has slipped then? And then yep. your trust goes down. But um, I know that you take a lot of pride in your team and also in your customers. Where are you finding your customers? So we're finding our
1: customers from our other customers,
0: which is a really,
1: yeah, that's the biggest way that we're finding Mm -hmm. our customers today. Mm -hmm. We expand um, that one-to-one reach a bit by doing event-based acquisition that's member-led. So, for example, we'll go to a- I'll
0: host one. I told you I would host one. We have to get that on the books.
1: That would be lovely. Yeah. We'll go to like a Microsoft or to a Fuel Mm -hmm. um, and host Some version of either kind of like a tech talk or a founder talk or just a pure kind of like style session. And that helps us um, get into an environment where we can talk to more than one person. We'll also do things in people's houses like Mm -hmm. what
0: you're Yeah, I'll do that. And then what's what for now is your, you know, it's going to change next week, but this week, today, what's the biggest pain point?
1: So right now, we we are very close to closing our round, That's which That's exciting. Amazing. I'm Thank so you. proud of
0: you. And Thank it's you. I know you've had a lot of female investors, we which have. is fantastic.
1: It's very exciting. Um, most of the female investors were customers first, and a mm-hmm. lot of them had never written an angel check before. And so I'm really thrilled to see this starting to become part of the larger ecosystem, because it is so true that innovation for a primarily female customer has been lacking because the ecosystem doesn't support companies that um, are looking to solve core problems. I mean, the worst example is the fact that up until very recently, the breast pump was the same breast pump from 1965. It's like, mm-hmm. what? So, Have you
0: ever seen the breast pump live? My mom would be, like, it'd go, Allo, hello, <laughs> Allo, hello, like, hello, hello, as it's going. It's, it's so pathetic
1: that innovation now coming from primarily female um inventors and it's great but to get those things out of idea stage we have to support them from the entire ecosystem and i think you are doing an amazing job of this honestly by f- finding entrepreneurs like me and pulling us up giving us advice giving us access trying our products yeah um, but that's like one example like male entrepreneurs that is it A key kind of disadvantage that we have is like we are now building the tribe and it's important to have that tribe because they have had it for years and it comes in the form of informal advice. It certainly comes in the form of capital and it comes in the form of mistake sharing and all this stuff. On the positive side, I think it's coming together fast and it's coming together strong. I agree. I, it is such a different world, even though yeah. when I started two years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, no,
0: completely. And for you, it's yeah. probably
1: like night and day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's just like changing so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> not I not what you think I was saying. I'm 47. <laughs> no.
0: Dude, you're going to get a sock in the face. <laughs> so I meant that awesome. fuel you're is like much my little older sister. So sweet. <laughs> so funny. Um, no, but it's true. I mean, I think that it was kind of not lip service before, but a lot of discussion around it versus after Asking, I've been asking um, my male guests, even on this on this podcast, like, tell me about your leadership team and tell me about your board. And- yep. Um, I'm not a big fan of being like, you need a woman for the sake of having a woman. Right. Neither I'm much I. more like hire someone smart, but just double check to make sure that there's not someone just as smart. Right. a woman. To give you just kind of diversity of thought, not to just check the box. Right. But to just make sure that you're not, there's not some sort of like blind spot because women are thinking differently. But right, I'm not a big fan of, of kind of feeling this, like you're supposed to get a check because you're a woman. And you wouldn't want that.
1: Right, exactly. And I think these are – we live in a capitalist society and we believe in maximizing returns. And the thing that is so obvious from the data is that you will generate better returns for your shareholders. Oh, for sure. Yeah, if you have a diverse
0: leadership team. Especially in this day and age, it's absolutely ridiculous. So you asked me about the tools that I use what do you use what kind of tools are you using i get nuggets from you too oh
1: so th- so you were saying like what is on the horizon mm-hmm. so this is on the horizon what i'm thinking about very kind of everyday in my idle mind time is now we're going to grow 10x between today and the next 12 months. And that will happen in every sphere. So the team will 10x, the customers will 10x, the marketing spend.
0: 10x, you have 25, 25 employees, you're gonna have 250 employees. Am I good at math? I mean, is that real?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we if we pace with so, hopefully, actually, the employee growth shouldn't be exactly I was like, what. But uh, because forty, no more than that, sixty percent of our staff will, grows kind of like operationally. If we keep it all in house, we'll see what kind of like how that ends up working. But you know, you could imagine if we bring the, the dry cleaning in house, if we continue to grow. The oh, that's an interesting move. Like those are all things that like operationally must grow with scale. Um but putting that stuff in place just means like I need to get myself organized. <laughs> I've been super fortunate to hire incredible humans who are going to push this thing. Do you up have the a COO? Um so I don't have a formal COO right now uh but I'm looking.
0: Your business, yeah, it's so many logistics and details. Yes. Wow it, it really a big is not to crack
1: and it's the key kind of metric on the business side is are we returning on our assets mm-hmm. which are our clothes and that complexity of that problem is deep mm-hmm. um it it starts from the product mix and the product mix is not just can i buy something that i can sell to somebody else it's can i buy something that then many somebody else's want to use that it holds up to many somebody else is using it that people fall in love with it and want to purchase it at the appropriate time um, that it crosses seasons and that it's trend kind of level is appropriate to it hanging out in the inventory set so that kind of math problem is incredibly complicated that's
0: super complicated so but it's fun for the right
1: person That we're using this as a hiring sales. Yeah,
0: anybody, anybody. (laughs) Um, So the other question that I have for you. So you talked about kind of your um, style as a CEO. Um, How would you say that your um, company values have been described? Have you identified them yet?
1: Um. So I think the the values. The way we've described it is that our job is to make these professional women who are overtaxed at home and in the workplace we're making her life easier and we're delivering joy so that was the second part that i didn't understand when we started this business i thought we were just saving her time we were and we had pretty aggressive messaging that um we came out with which was essentially And this is true. Women spend 76 percent more on their work wardrobe than their male counterpart. And they're getting paid, as we know, significantly less. And so this like made me irate. I was like, what is this? And so my initial thought was kind of like, we're going to level this uh, this wallet issue. What I've learned from my customers is that, yes, that in a lot of the time they come to us to save time and save money. They stay because it's fun. Yeah. And we they, we are the best part of their morning and their kids open the package with them and everybody pushes mom to like try the weird thing that came in the box and then she tries it and she feels great about it and her friends give her compliments and it's just it's the equivalent of eating something new of changing your hair color of trying out new earrings and the idea of like what our external self looks like is a very old idea, right? Like war paint and the armor. Armor and armoire have the same root. But the way that we dress ourselves and present ourselves to the world has an important kind of effect on how we feel. And this idea of trying out different external shells while the internal person stays the same is a really interesting thing, and I think we're being able to deliver
0: it. yeah, it does bring it does bring joy. I like to come selfishly. I like to come visit you at work and I like it, that too. in person. but yeah, <laughs> I would love to get that in the mail. Um, what's your kind of passions outside of work? I know that you're also involved with Protham mm-hmm. um, and that's been a ten year thing. That's your baby kind of outside of work, would you say?
1: I, I think to be honest my real my family outside of work is the main kind of like passion yeah. space. I love the work we do at Pratham and they do early learning in India um and it's really uh I like the values of it because it's very achievable. Mm-hmm. They're really just focus on two big things which is literacy and basic arithmetic it's taught by almost completely a volunteer core across the country and so they find mostly women who know how to read and know how to do basic arithmetic in the village and kind of give them structure around teaching kids who are not they're in school but they're not learning um because of like constraints on the classroom and all this stuff so i love the work that they do I have not spent as much time as I would have liked in the last especially. Well, you're busy. Yeah. So you
0: spend time with your family.
1: I do spend a lot of yeah, time with Shunker. my family. And how
0: did you guys meet?
1: Um so we met at a bar that no longer exists in Seattle, which will age us. Um but we met through friends. Um He's ha- awesome. <laughs> he is kind of awesome. He's, great. He's my biggest supporter. Um it's you incredible. Need that. Yeah,
0: you it, absolutely need that.
1: It really is incredible to have somebody who believes in you at all times. And um, he we always joke, but it is true. He sells this business like a boss. He can sell it to women like he didn't even know what culottes were until like two years ago. And he's like, this is is going to change your
0: life. It really <laughs> <Cool> will. <lots. laughs> and the jumpsuit. I bought it. I got my jumpsuit. I didn't even rent it, I bought it. Good for you. And mm-hmm. I did feel good in it. That was a good call. You looked amazing. Joy. I felt joy. Good. Um so my final question um is like ultimately what fuels you?
1: Ultimately what fuels me is the fact that we're building something that is valuable. It is so hard to kind of rise above a lot of the things that we're all kind of like wasting money on or spending time on. And the fact that we are creating something that delivers to people's lives is really just deeply inspiring to me because that's that's why I spend a lot of time with my family and my husband and the humans that I work with and the customers. It's like I'm able to deliver joy on a one-to-one level or value but through Armoire, we're able to, and I am able to deliver value much beyond the one-to-one interactions that I can fit into the day, and that's incredibly inspiring to me. And particularly the fact that we're looking at professional women who are often, as we've discussed, not on the uh, receiving end of a lot of this yeah. sort of like.
0: And how can um, our how can our listeners um, become members of Armoire?
1: So you should sign up today armoire.style. Go through your style profile, pick out four things that you love and start to live more lightly and with a bit more joy in the mornings and send me all your product feedback because that's (laughs) very important.
0: I think that people can definitely learn a lot from you and from the other people that we've got on the podcast. So thank you for sharing your time. And I'm excited for you to get hopefully more customers. Me too. Try the product. It will be fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.